You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Miracles Today with God's man of faith and power, Evangelist A.A. A. Allen. This is Heaven Bent. Now, this woman declares she has an impersonating demon. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. She hears voices. What does it sound like? Sounds like a dog. Oh, sounds like a dog. Where's the bark come from? From within, I guess. You think there's a dog in there? No, I know there's not a dog in there. But there's something in there. I'm not trying to be funny, friends. You foul devil. You foul demon that possesses this woman. Thou who crushes this woman down. In the name of Jesus Christ. I come against you, Satan. You're not frightening me one bit. You are listening to the thing that's been barking. Now it is talking. Episode 7. The Devil Himself. This is demon possession. This is not dramatization. This is no Hollywood actress. I've never seen this woman before in my life until today. Ha, ha, ha. I'll not come out. I'll pull her down. You wait and see. I'll pull her down. Here it comes. Ah! <laughs> I feel it coming. Oh! Here it comes. It's coming out. Here it is. Yes, that's it, little lady. You're free, God, set me free. Give me some music, David. Growing up in the Pentecostal church, I was properly instilled with the belief that demons were real and that their sole purpose was to destroy our lives on behalf of Satan. I specifically remember being told about things like the witching hour. That was this time in the night when the devil's minions were most likely to be prowling outside my bedroom window, trying to come in, trying to come and get me. I also recall being witness to a dramatic exorcism during a Christian youth conference in Kamloops. We were all in this main sanctuary worshiping and singing and dancing. But off to the side, there were a couple youth leaders who were trying to cast a demon out of a young woman. She was about the same age as me at the time, so about 18, 19 years old. And she was screaming and writhing and crying. And at some point, I guess it got to be, I don't know, too much or something. So they took her out the emergency exit. And nearly two hours later, When I was walking back to my car, they were still attempting this exorcism on her in the back parking lot. She looked exhausted. Back then, I never questioned any of it. But today, as a grown and curious woman, having spent most of my childhood and young adult life living in a legit spirit of fear, I do have questions about Satan. Specifically, this image of Satan 
this personification of evil that was presented to me. I mean, we're talking about a super scary dude that's absolutely obsessed with destroying your life. We'll get to that this episode. Plus, what does the devil have to do with the results of the 2020 U.S. presidential election? If you ask the leaders of Bethel Church in Reading, the answer is a whole hell of a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good evening. I'd like to provide the American people with an update on our efforts to protect the integrity of our very important 2020 election. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly. But a lot of votes came in late. Okay, so it's now early November 2020. And depending on who you ask, President Donald Trump has lost the U.S. presidential election. Shock and denial is reverberating through his support network, which includes many people in Reading. Once again, here's local reporter Annalise Pierce on the reaction. Well, in town, there's certainly quite a few people who believe that Trump somehow was cheated out of the election. Shasta County, where Bethel Church is located, is an extremely conservative community. We're the Bible Belt of California here. In the community, there's a great sense of if Trump wasn't elected, it's clear that the support for him was strong. So there must have been something that went wrong in in the electoral process to cause him not to win. And this theory that the election was stolen, it makes perfect sense to so many in these circles because that would explain why the prophets were wrong. Christian prophets had widely prophesied that Trump would win a second term. That's what they said. That's what Bethel's most esteemed prophet, Chris Vallotton, said. And during that message that Chris preached on a Sunday night, um, he, he essentially said, you don't want to be outside of the will of God in this matter. I'm telling you that, that God wants Trump to win a second term. And you can do whatever you want, but I don't think you want to make your dad angry. You don't want to make God, your dad, angry. And he talked about Ananias and Sapphira, very famous, famously known pair in the Bible who died, who were struck dead by God because they were disobedient. So there was certainly the implication that it was dangerous not to vote for Trump in the 2020 election. And this was, like I said, maybe six months ago. And then he did prophesy, you know, that that Trump would win. Shortly after the election was called for Joe Biden, Chris Vallotton posted and then later deleted an extremely controversial apology video. An apology for getting it wrong. And this apology and him deleting it and eventually reposting it has been so controversial because a core group of Vallotton's fellow Bethel leaders and lots of his followers don't think he has anything to apologize for. They still trust him. They still trust all the prophets, that their prophecies about Trump serving this second term, that somehow they will still come to pass. And whatever, I'm not going to name any names, but from the online content of some Bethel leaders and general Bethel folk too, people I've been following this, this whole time, Many of them appear to be bolstering their beliefs with the completely discredited, unproven right-wing conspiracy theory called QAnon. 
So QAnon, again, it's a completely discredited idea that President Donald Trump is fighting a secret group of Satan-worshipping cannibalistic pedophiles. And they are not just any Satan-worshipping cannibalistic pedophiles. These ones are running a global child sex trafficking ring. And according to this theory, Trump will soon command the National Guard to arrest these people and all his political enemies. They call this looming day the storm. And it's now widely believed amongst these conspiracy theory believers that it will happen on January 6, 2021, when Congress will meet in the Capitol building to count the electoral votes and formalize Biden's win. According to recent studies, more than 25% of white evangelicals believe in QAnon. There's a lot of interesting connections between the QAnon movement and the evangelical movement, um, especially at churches like Bethel, where there's sort of like a, a pretty radical fervor for the kingdom of God. It kind of seems to mesh really well with this radical fervor for revolution in the government or an overthrow of things as they have been. And so it just seems like there's a lot of synchronicity between the two ideas and that for whatever reason, this has clicked for people. The QAnon conspiracy theory has flourished for a lot of different reasons, but one of them is definitely Trump's refusal to denounce it. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. But I don't know much this about was President Trump during a news conference back in August 2020 when riots and nationwide protests were happening all in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I don't know really anything about it other than they do supposedly like me and they also would like to see problems in these areas, like especially the areas that we're talking about. At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. And we are, actually. We're saving the world from a radical left philosophy that will destroy this country. And when this country is gone, the rest of the world would follow. So I'm Scott Poole, and I'm a professor of history at the College of Charleston. And here I actually teach courses on uh, the history of Satan intertwined with the ideas of evil. I've invited Professor Poole as a guest this episode because he has a really fascinating perspective on the devil of evangelical Christianity. For American evangelicals, when they talk about Satan, they are not in any sense speaking in metaphorical terms. They are talking about a literal consciousness a malignant personality and intelligence 
that is both out to get them individually and also they believe out to destroy the allegedly formerly Christian culture of the United States. That is, that is their view. In Professor Poole's opinion, a major turning point for this, a major turning point for the role of the devil in evangelicalism in America, came with the release of the film The Exorcist, in 1974. And actually a kind of triptych of films, Rosemary's Baby in 1968, The Exorcist, and then The Omen in 1976. And in various ways, it is my very strong belief that these pop culture images of Satan as Antichrist and thus harbinger of end of the world, Satan as possessing power of evil, Satan as in some way entangled in America's political and culture wars. All of these things become part of really the rising political and cultural power of evangelicalism over the last, really now, uh, 50 years, half a century. I wanted to know more about this evolution of Satan, or what sounds like a changing image of Satan over time. For that, Professor Poole jumped us back a few hundred years, back to 17th century New England. One thing I would say about the Puritan devil is that the Puritans had a very strong absolutist notion of their war against evil. Puritans are also uh, coming to the New World, coming to and founding the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the 1630s with the sense that they are just besieged by demonic forces. Heavenly Father, go with us as we work and shelter us from all harm. And they find this in everything from Christian groups that have uh, migrated from England like the Quakers, Uh, Certainly, they find it among the native Indian peoples of New England, who essentially they wage a series of genocidal wars against, based largely on the notion that native Indian peoples are in some special way servants of Satan. In fact, um, it became part of Puritan theology and folk belief that they, in fact, were in some special way the children of Satan. So they were not to be converted, they were to be destroyed. And so their errand into the wilderness, as they called it, was very much an invasion. And and they saw themselves as this beachhead against dark forces. Again, it's, it's a war, and it's a literal war against the devil. More Heaven Bent after this. When I was growing up in the church, One major thing that got connected with satanic forces was rock and roll music. One of my favorite VHS rentals from our local Christian bookstore in Prince Rupert was always this copy of a 1989 Christian documentary called Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll. Now, this documentary taught me that some of the world's greatest rock and roll stars had made literal deals with the devil. And I believed until, I don't know, I was at least 25, that proof of this could be found in the satanic lyrics that you can hear when you play certain rock songs backwards. Yeah, girl, you, 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 you. 
That was Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven backwards. Could you hear any secret messages from the devil? Back in the 80s, a popular televangelist, maybe you've heard of him, his name's Paul Crouch of the Trinity Broadcasting Network, he convinced me and millions of his viewers that there most certainly was. Let me break it down for you. So here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give you 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer, sad Satan. And once more, without me trampling it. It seems silly now, to me anyway, but one time I listened to this on repeat, in the dark, in my bedroom, weeping in fear. Today, I've looked into it with more of a critical eye. And it seems to be connected with this idea that Jimmy Page, the guitarist from Led Zeppelin, was into the occult. I'm not really seeing any evidence of that. Seems like he was just really into legends and history, maybe dabbled in magic. And I could be wrong. Maybe it does go deeper. But either way, over the last 50 years or so, Jimmy Page has been one of many rock and roll stars that were demonized and accused of having these satanic connections. Just a part of what many Christians believe is the devil's work in American culture. Something that Professor Poole points out that American evangelicals and American Christians in general have been actively rising up against since at least the 1960s. The devil and the idea of the devil become so essential to these groups in part because they see themselves as waging a kind of uh, counterinsurgency against the 1960s and the 19, early 1970s. So all the changes brought by the counterculture. And so what occurs by the 1980s, and it's actually incredibly dangerous, and we continue to see it in American politics today, is that you have one's political opponents, and in the case of the Christian right, feminist, LGBT people, any group that is connected to the counterculture, any group considered um, subversive in any sense, they are identified with satanic forces and, and in, in quite a literal fashion. What is behind them is not a group of people you disagree with politically on the left. Instead, the Christian right wing sees them as quite literally the forces of Satan. And it was in the 1970s, 1980s, where these perceived forces of Satan would give birth to something that we now call the satanic panic. We are only going to stick our like baby toe into exactly what it was all about, but to crack it open, the satanic panic is really the results of the Christian right wing unwittingly expressing their very powerful anxieties 
about the progressive political and cultural changes of the 1960s. It really begins with the circulation of a number of what folklorists call rumor legends. Stories about missing children, a belief about the operation of satanic covens that the leaders of this movement, many of whom are ministers and religious entrepreneurs of various kinds, uh, see as a kind of vast underground conspiracy. Now, what grew out of this was the belief that tens of thousands, this was the claim that was being made at a certain point by uh, particularly a number of religious leaders, a few politicians, even some in law enforcement, that tens of thousands of children in the state were missing and had been kidnapped and were being tortured or killed by satanic covens. Now, even after an FBI investigation in the 90s, there has never been any evidence that any of this stuff ever occurred. These rumor legends from time to time just seem to sort of bubble up and become a full-blown panic amongst certain communities in America, especially when they are validated by mainstream media. Most infamously, the news magazine 2020 did a, uh, a program called The Devil Worshippers. This iconic episode of ABC's 2020 didn't report that the satanic panic was true exactly, but Professor Poole says that the use of imagery, the sort of horrified reaction of the host to the alleged evidence that's being introduced, it certainly gave it, you know, legitimacy. It's really just this collage and visual assault, horror films, crime scenes, heavy metal music videos, accusations of horrible crimes, all of which were were really designed to sort of terrify middle class, um, you know, mostly white Americans. And, And it worked. Next time on the final episode this season on Heaven Bent. Most of the stuff that comes out is new age. Most of this stuff is actual just like Wicca and witchcraft. And it's being presented that as long as your source is Jesus, that this is, it's okay, this is the default, this is the real stuff. I realized that like, it's not really my job to determine what someone else is experiencing because it has nothing to do with me and God, right? Like if I get so caught up in what everyone else is doing, whether it's real, whether it's demonic, whether it's fake, then I'm gonna miss like what God's trying to talk to me. I would say from my personal experience, don't go there, it's horrible. You know, it kind of like sucked 10 years of my life. It, yeah, it just kind of fuels all your chemicals, right? It gets the dopamine going and it kind of gets you to make bad decisions. I watched how they turn this church into a money-making business. Um, but I don't believe that that's healthy, especially when you're making money off of free volunteer labor and mostly off of these interns from the School of Ministry. How about we say yes? How about we say yes? It's cleaning their houses for them. It's doing their grocery shopping for them. It's mowing their lawn and doing the landscaping. It's taking care of their kids all for free. 
want you to lift your voice and respond to this invitation. Let's pray.